basically looking at the destruction of kind of the world as we know it, first with the religion that would be the man's religion, what man has created, uh, which was uh, chapter 17 referred to as a whore of Babylon. And then the other part of Babylon would be the political and economic part of Babylon, which was 18, and all of this burned up, as Scott often tells us, our, our music, but it's all going to burn. Well, it is all going to burn. And then in 19, last week, praise God, we had relief. It was kind of like the eight drops of rain that I got this week. It was relief, but uh, the Lord saw fit to had me run into a guy that was in the Detroit airport that was that Coptic Christian. He was a bishop. I spoke to an Egyptian lady this week, and she said, oh, yeah, that guy's a known guy. He's like right there under our, uh, under the Pope, so to speak. He was a sweet guy. He invited me to come to Detroit and spend time with him. And he explained to me, and I think the Lord led me to him because we were kind of terrified of all this judgment that God's going to put on the earth. You know, it, it didn't really line up really with our idea of loving kindness. And he told me that the Coptic Christians have provided more martyrs than any other people group in the world. And I just think God worked it out. And then he began to tell me and talk about it. And then I looked up on the internet and saw all those people we saw beheaded by ISIS. Remember with the orange? Those were all Coptic Christians. Not a one of them renounced their faith in Jesus Christ. As they sat and watched their brother lose his head. And it, it made me realize, yeah, you know, justice needs to happen. It can't all be loving kindness and mercy. Or then God is not just and merciful to those that are afflicted. He's not merciful to those that have suffered. And so we end up today in one of the most interesting chapters probably in the entire Bible talking about the millennium. I asked a couple in our church yesterday, uh, do y'all know anything about the millennium? No, I don't know. We don't know anything about it. And this couple are up in their 70s, haven't really studied it because pastors really don't talk about it because it's all kind of strange. Uh, none of it's in stone, but we're going to talk about it today together. It is basically talked of in the future when the lion will lay down with the lamb. Surely, even if you've not ever studied Revelation, you've heard there's coming a day when the lion will lay down with the lamb. That means when the aggressors uh, are no longer going to be aggressive and that the meek and humble are going to lay right down there with them and there's going to be no competition. Scott, there's going to be no... Uh, no more bloodshed, no more injustice, and that's what we're studying about today. So here's the timeline that I'll give you. Not all believers agree on this, but this is what I teach and what I believe Scripture says. We are in the church age right there. The church age began at Pentecost, and it goes up to the point when I believe that those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, will be snatched up, seized, taken away, and will meet the Lord in the air, okay? And that is when other believers that have died in Christ, who have died trusting Jesus as their Savior, will be resurrected. They'll go right before the rest of us. If that were to happen in two minutes right now, everybody over there that trusted the Lord in Whitehall Cemetery will go flying by us, and we're going to be right behind them, those of us who have put our uh, trust in Him. Now, if you're left here sitting in the pews... You might want to think deeply about where you are if that point happens. All right. I'm playing. Ben's kind of laughing at me this morning, but Ben, you've just never been here before, and that's kind of how I am. Then we have the seven years of tribulation. We studied that, that downfall of Babylon, the religion in the mid-tribulation, 
The last one was two weeks ago when we studied the downfall of the economic system and what I said had a profile, something like, and I named the big city in the United States where it kind of fits the profile. Not that that'll be the place where it's destroyed, but something like that will be the place. And then we had the relief, which was Armageddon and the mop up. And then today we're gonna to study about this millennial reign. It's called a millennial because mille in Latin is 1000. That's what that word means. So it's the 1000 year reign or the messianic kingdom of Jesus here on earth. If you'll read with me please in chapter 20 and let's read the first three verses. Then I, and if you don't have a Bible, look on here, it should be big enough that those in the back, can that be read on the back row out of curiosity? Good. Then I saw an angel, this is John speaking, coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. All right? And the word for bottomless pit in Greek is abusan. All right, abusan. It's where we get the word abyss, okay? Uh, the editor wrote me and goes, why are you calling the bottomless pit an abyss? Because the real question is, why are you calling the abyss a bottomless pit? You follow me? And a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Interest, interestingly enough, we as Christ believers have the privilege to understand who that dragon of old, that serpent in the garden was. Do you know, the Old Testament never reveals that. So the Jews that had the Torah and read that never really understood that there was this enemy of the Jewish people out there determined and hell-bent, literally, on destroying them, all right? And uh, finally here, it is identified. And I wanted to mention that we used to have a Messianic Jew that would come here and teach to us, and he did it at the Home Fellowship, those that were involved in that. Y'all remember Rabbi Daniel? And he said something interesting about the time in captivity. He said, after the time in captivity, three things happened to the Jewish people that that was definitive in their makeup. One was the synagogue was formed. Before Babylon, there were no synagogues. Basically, you worshiped in the temple. That's where it all happened. But at that point, it became... Uh, it became something the Jewish people did in a minion or a group of 10 men or more would meet, study the Bible, prayer meetings exactly like we do at Scott Armstrong's ministry on Tuesday mornings. We're kind of operating there like a synagogue of old. And they would meet, and so the synagogue, no longer did a Jew have to get to Jerusalem to have some form of praying with others, studying the Bible. That's a big, big deal. Secondly, and, and the reason I think it's a big deal is because it, it kind of declares that God is not over in a place, right? He's wherever the people of God meet and wherever they pray to him. And Jesus said that. He said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. Secondly, Rabbi Daniel told us that after Babylon, there was no more idol worship of the idols such as Baal and Ashtaroth. Never again did the Jewish people as a people Bow their, bow their heads, bow their knee to a, the gods of their foreign of the their foreign neighbors. That was interesting. And lastly, they learned there in the book of Daniel that they had a mortal enemy that was bent on destroying the Jewish people, and that is when uh, Daniel received his vision from the Lord, and the angel shows up and says, "Sorry, I was de delayed for a couple of weeks because we were in the middle of an angelic conflict." All right. 
So the Jewish mind then was made aware that an angelic conflict flick existed and that there was this enemy out there that was hell-bent on destroying them and killing them from the time in the Garden of Eden on up to the present day today. All right? So those are three things. So we see this identified, the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. John identifies him. And he's going to be bound up for a thousand years. So, wow, this is this first instance we hear of a thousand years. And he cast him, this angel did, into the abyss, the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him. So there Satan is going to put away in the abyss for a thousand years and he's locked up and he can't, he cannot influence or manipulate things that are going on on earth, okay? And then it says, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. So there we see John saying that Satan's going to be locked up. He's down in the abyss. And for a thousand years, something unique is going to happen on earth. And then John tells us, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. I want to just talk about this thousand years for a minute and talk about what is this thing called the millennium. Again, millennium means a thousand years. Many years ago, some of us used to have lunch at the Emporium. I'm looking at Nick and Sarah and Kathy and others. We would meet there, Michael. And there was a woman there that was a Seventh-day Adventist. Michael, don't know if you remember her name, Miss Dorothy. I don't even remember her last name. And we loved to hear her pray. Do y'all remember how she would end her prayer? May we rest, rule, and reign with you forever. Dorothy was saying something pretty biblical. We all thought it was just kind of funny and quaint that this lady would say, maybe rest, rule, and reign. We kind of, I don't know that we made fun of it, but it just seemed like a funny thing. But it's exactly like Dorothy said. We as believers are going to be participating in resting on the earth, ruling on the earth, and reigning on the earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So where's the scripture for that? Look at what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, if you read up behind me. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Who are the saints? Are we talking about St. Elmo? We're talking about us right here. Those that have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus or sanctified and holy, we are the saints. We will participate in judging the world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He was writing them because they were suing one another. He said, look, we're going to end up judging the world. Can't y'all get along without suing one another and doing this stuff? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So basically, Paul is telling the Corinthians, get your act together. We're going to end up judging the world. Let's figure out how to do that just with ourselves and get along. About five years ago, I read this book. This is one of the most interesting books I've ever read. I've asked some of you all, have you read this? It's called When a Jew Rules the World by a guy named Joel Richardson. And it kind of changed my view of heaven. And I don't mean heaven. Heaven's kind of a progressive thing where we're going to go from, I think, living in the millennium to what we're going to study on, on Wednesday night, which will be a new heaven and a new earth. But I think for a thousand years, we are going to live right on earth in a beautiful way in our glorified bodies. I think we're going to garden here, or at least this is what he says. We're going to garden. We're going to have purpose. We're going to participate in the rebuilding of the earth after the tribulation. To me, that's a lot more exciting than sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. I don't know how y'all feel about it. 
I know it's going to be better for Aaron because Aaron goes crazy if he doesn't have something to do. It, he used to work for me, and it's like, okay, we, I've done a week's worth of work in this last two hours. What do you want me to do now? All right. It, that's an accolade to our wonderful groom today. But, you know, the, the idea of heaven that we have adopted is a Greek idea. It's an idea that the earth is down here with the physical and heaven is the spirit world and stuff down here is bad. And it's where some of that thinking came that spiritual is good and our physical bodies are bad and this kind of thing. And so it's this idea of up in some sort of a Star Trek kind of a weird thing with these things talking that that's how heaven will be like. And Richardson introduces a Jewish concept of heaven where, yes, there's wickedness here, but there is redemption happening on the earth. That's what is a Jewish way to think of it. It's like the ideal was the Garden of Eden. Man fell, and we're always trying to get back to the garden, right? Yeah. Isn't that a sweeter concept? Yeah. It is to me. We want to get back to that garden, you know? And part of getting back to that garden is these reconstruction projects, like I say, as Jesus. He's going to maybe put one of y'all in charge of rebuilding New York City or whatever's going to be there. I don't know. I don't understand it all. It's not real detailed, but it's fun for me to think about, and I think we're going to be here. So Joel Richardson produces this idea, and he does it based on the promises of God, and I love this. It's when we look at these promises of God, they don't just evaporate. God is a promise keeper, amen? Yes. And in that age to come, that's more of the Jewish thinking than talking about heaven, okay? It's that age to come. The millennium will, will be followed by and lead into, if you'll see the arrow up there, to a new heaven, a new earth that we'll talk about on Wednesday night. Pastor Larry and I call that the cubic planet because it's this 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile thing out there that we'll talk about the streets of gold and all those ways that are, have tried to describe it. So there's many passages that focus on this age to come. And in Hebrews, we're told, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God guarantees the things that God promises. I believe that, don't you? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, that's us, we fled the nuttiness of the world to the refuge of being together as a body of Christ, amen? might have strong encouragement and hold fast to the hope. I'm holding fast to the hope of the things that I read in Scripture. It's going to be a time, a thousand years, where we have purpose, where we have peace, no more wars, no more nations at one another's throats, okay? And we're going to have this purpose, this purpose of rebuilding. And we have an even exciting uh, thing that I'll describe then in the next slide. This is sort of a wait and see what this is. Listen to this in Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming. Remember, God keeps his promises. We haven't seen this yet. When the plowman will overtake the reaper. Well, when I first read that, I thought he's going to overtake him and whop him on the head. It doesn't say that. The plowman means the guy that's out there trying to get the stuff to grow is going to overtake the reaper because the reaper's still there harvesting stuff. There's so much to take that they're going to be planting while people are still out there harvesting the peaches and the pears and the grapes and all the wonderful things that we're going to live on. And the treader of grapes, what's a treader of grape? That's those down in the grape pit squashing the grapes to make wine. 
you know, wine with alcohol in it. The treading of the grapes, him who sows seed. So they're going to still be doing that while others are out there sowing these seeds. It is a picture, y'all, of total, I, I can only think of the Irish word at this moment, but I think in English we would say of total flourishment, flourishing if there is such a word. And the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Not to step on Pastor Michael's feet, everybody's going to be a master gardener. You won't have to go through the course with everybody else down in town. We are going to experience a kind of produce that we never have Amen. and eat fruit like we've never had. We lived in Chile, and I'll tell you, I never liked a papaya until I went to Chile. Yeah. In Chile, they would grow fruit, and it was in the desert, and the sweetest was so concentrated. You've never eaten an apple like a Chilean apple or a papaya like a Chilean papaya. We used to have it with cream on it. It was like ice cream. My kids are here today. Maybe they remember some of that. And then look what we'll be doing. This is Isaiah 61.4. They, who's they? That's going to be us. Shall build up ancient ruins. Why are there ancient ruins? Because the tribulations destroyed everything, right? Raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So we're going to be in the building program. Uh, Bell Construction is going to be there, heading up everything. Because uh, we're going to rest, rule, and reign. Part of that is going to be, Brother Lance, that you're going to need to get crews going to different parts of wherever God puts you to make sure that it's all put back together correctly. Amen? And then the best part of all, there will be fishing. Come on, Pastor. There's going to be fishing in heaven? Yes, there is, in the, at least during the tribulation. Listen what we read in, in Ezekiel 47, 9 through 10. And wherever the river goes, every living, and this is talking about a river coming out of where the temple is in Jerusalem. There'll be a giant earthquake that'll leave that rift opening up. The water's going to flood in. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. Wow. Right now, there's only creatures there in the Jordan River. This means it's going to take it right on down to the Red Sea. It's going to be filled with stuff. Listen. And there will be very many fish. Right now, there are no fish. Some of y'all have tried to swim in the Dead Sea. All that happens, you pop up because it's so salty. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh and everything will live. And I don't think it means fresh like fresh water like we think, but I think it just means alive. So everything will live where the river goes. And here we have it. This is what Faber's going to be doing when he's not playing with horses. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. That's me. Lance, you'll be out building. I'll be fishing. From Engedi to Eneglaim, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. So if God's word is real, and I believe that it is, guys, this is going to happen. I know it seems weird, but I believe it's going to happen. I think we're going to participate. <clears throat> the animal kingdom will be altered. Doug, talking to Doug. Behind you, Doug. The altered, we got two Dugs in a row right there. The altered animal kingdom. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. Wow, that makes the coyotes are going to be okay with our stuff, right? But, but our chickens, the leopard will lie down with the young goat. I've never seen that. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Wow, they're going to be out there together. I've actually seen when mountain lions come into this area in Whitehall, and we have them. 
Cattle will back up bottom to bottom in a big circle. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that. We've seen that happen. They're going to be lying down out there together because the lions are going to be eating grass. It'll tell us in a minute. The cow and the bear shall graze. So I'm going to have bears out on my place. And the young ones will lie down together. And look at this. The lion will eat straw like an ox. I don't know how a lion eats hay, but they're going to do it. And the nursing child will play by the cobra's hole. The weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the Lord shall be full of the, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Guys, this is coming. This is the millennium. They go, where is that in the Bible? We just read it. We read it in those other areas. So now let's go to verse four. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. This is where Paul is talking about this. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, thinking of those ISIS killed martyrs, for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image, had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and they reigned with Christ, just like Dorothy said, for a thousand years. May they rest, rule, and reign. May we rest, rule, and reign with you. And Because we're going to have our resurrection bodies, okay? And so will those tribulation saints. And then John says this, and I put this in a parenthetical, otherwise it makes no sense. But the rest of the dead, this is talking about the ones that haven't died in Christ, did not live again, so they're not going to be raised until the thousand years are finished. So do y'all see what's happening? There will be a raising of the unsaved people that have died in the tribulation at the end of this millennium period. And it says this, speaking of the tribulation saints, is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. That's going to be those that died that were martyred, that knew the Lord. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So, anyway, a little recap on that. Those who have died in Christ before the end of things will participate in the resting, ruling, and reigning. They'll be raised and be alive with us there during the millennium period. Now, there will also be people that are going to survive the tribulation by most scholars think that are going to be living there while we're living here. So I don't know how that works, that we in glorified bodies are living beside, beside people that are being married and having children, and, and there's scriptures that show, and I don't want to go into it all, that they're going to live, live long, long lives, probably like at the time of the flood. It says that a baby will be 100 years old, okay? John, in those parentheses, explains, I play, and I put those there, that the rest of the dead don't come back to life until after the millennium. So it means that the unbelievers who died throughout history will not come to life again until the end of the millennium when they'll be judged. Y'all follow me? So don't let it be a big confusion until you just realize that we that are alive right now, if the Lord were to come now, would take us up and we would be meet those in heaven or meet those with the Lord right now who have died from the time of Jesus up till now. Then those during the tribulation that died will be raised there before the millennium, but those that died in the tribulation that were not believers will be raised again at the end of the millennium at the time of the great white throne of judgment. It's, it's complicated and strange, but if you keep that profile there, it helps. Let's read on. Seven. Now, when the thousand years have expired, 
Satan will be released. Gosh, why are they letting him out of here? But we got him down in the hole. Leave him there. Satan's going to be released from his prison. And he's going to be released because he is going to have an opportunity to sway and to manip manipulate those that are alive that have never died that are living during the millennium. And I will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners. He will go out in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And I want to just say that probably their Gog and Magog just means the enemies of God, not just people from Gog and Magog. Whose number is as the sand of the sea, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded. What did they surround? They surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So there's not going to be a big battle. It's all going to be over pretty quick. The fire is going to come down, consume them. And then the devil, who had deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire. So he's not going back to the pit. He's going to the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are already placed, okay? And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. This is the great white throne of judgment that you've heard of. And him who sat on it. And someone asked me this week, well, where's the white throne of judgment going to be? I don't know where it's going to be. I'm assuming it's going to be in the cubic planet, right? I don't know. Whitehall. We're going to judge everybody right here in Whitehall. Because that's where the white throne of judgment is, right? And uh, y'all stop. That's how cults get started. <laughs> And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Who, who sat on it? Jesus, right? And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Is this saying that Christians will be judged by their works? It's not. These are those that died that didn't know the Lord. They're unbelievers. How do we know that we're not going to be judged? Because Paul tells us there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. All right? We might be judged by other things, but not judged according to our permanent address in heaven. We don't have to face that. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. They were judged. Each one according to his works, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. It's kind of strange because it talks about death and Hades like they're this evil spirit, doesn't it? And I think it's kind of interesting, and I'll show you why. And it says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone in this room who has given their heart to the Lord, put their faith and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, will not be in the lake of fire. All right? That's the requirement, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Death will be no more. Isn't it funny that we personify death? The Grim Reaper, right? We call it the Grim Reaper. Maybe there is an angel that's the angel of death. I don't know. Oh, all that I do know is he's going to be stuck in the lake of fire. It just told me that. Death will be no more. I think it's interesting because death <clears throat> is probably the things that human beings fear the most. We wonder about it, what will be after it. Will I be in pain when I die? And the great thing is that when we get to that time, death will be no more. Jesus conquered death. God is not willing, I want to add this at the end, that any should perish. So you don't have to suffer through any of this. I'm not saying you're not going to suffer. 
but you don't have to suffer eternal consequences. Amen. God is not willing that any should perish. Salvation is a free gift to all who accept it. It does not require church membership, being in the right church. Paul in Romans 10, 9 says nothing about that you have to be a member of Union Grove Baptist Church. He says if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. And that's it. It doesn't say and been baptized, sang in the choir, baked a thousand cookies for First Baptist, or any of the other things that we think attribute some kind of worthiness. If you can do anything to work for your salvation, then you can undo your salvation by doing things, right? Once you're saved, you're always saved. Otherwise, you were never saved by grace. You were saved by being a good person. You're not going to be saved by being a good person. You're going to be saved by the blood of the Lamb and by word of your testimony that you have accepted Him and received Him as your Savior. We can't lose our salvation by our works any more than we can earn it by our works. You are not kept. And it's, a lot of believers act like they've got to somehow keep their salvation. I'm not saying live an unholy lifestyle. That's not what we're talking about. You are commanded to live a holy lifestyle. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a holy lifestyle. All the while, you're holy before the Lord, understood? By the blood of the Lamb. You and I are saved and kept because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's give praise and glory Amen. to Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Yeah.